Hello, and welcome to the OnTIC Protective Intelligence Podcast. I'm Fred Burton, the Executive Director of the OnTIC Center for Protective Intelligence. During my years as a counterterrorism agent with the U.S. State Department and time spent as a physical security expert in the private sector, I've seen it all and met many fascinating people along the way. This podcast series explores the riveting world of protective intelligence through conversations with leaders in the security field. I'm Fred Burton, and now on to the podcast. Hi, I'm Fred Burton, here today with Charles Mullinger. Charles is a hands-on acquisition entrepreneur and current president and CEO of Ethos Preparedness. He views the emergency readiness market as a unique and impactful opportunity to build a brand that creates specialty equipment and supplies along with thoughtful content and engagement. Charles is a former captain in the United States Army, a West Point graduate, and University of Chicago MBA. Charles, welcome to the Ontic Protective Intelligence Podcast. Hey, Fred. Thanks so much for having me today. Oh, it's our pleasure. Tell me a little bit about your company. Yeah, so Ethos Preparedness really w- was born uh, when two two businesses combined. So I personally have a military background and ended up taking an entrepreneurial pursuit after uh, my time in the military and then going back to business school. And I acquired a small business called MedSled, which uh, designs and manufactures medical evacuation devices. And we sell those to healthcare facilities, high-rise buildings, corporate campuses, military, law enforcement, a lot of different end market segments. And I, I really loved the emergency preparedness space. And about one year into operating that business, we did a add-on acquisition of a emergency kits and supplies company based out of California, which we have now rolled into our St. Louis, Missouri headquarters facilities. And that is really how, how Ethos was born. We put those two companies together um, to amplify our conversations with our business-to-business clients. And now we offer evacuation devices, emergency kits and supplies, as well as employee engagement and training. That's very cool. First, let me thank you for serving in our great nation. I started out uh, many, many years ago as a volunteer at our local rescue squad. And I was taking a look at your emergency sled there. That's really amazing. Yeah, no, that's great. I'm, I'm, I'm sure you have seen very similar or like products uh, given your history. So thanks for what you did as well. Well, that's all ancient history now. <laughs> uh, as you look at this space, it's really interesting to me because uh, do you think a lot of this has developed since 9-11? I, I definitely do. Um, there's been, especially in the healthcare space, which is uh, a significant piece of of our revenue, comes from hospitals and long term care facilities. Um, there's been regulations passed. There's grant dollars. There's been programs that um, give federal funding to healthcare facilities specifically for emergency readiness needs. It's it's a very interesting industry in that you know during a time of Ebola or COVID nineteen. A lot of those dollars shift from what we do specifically to infection control and personal protective equipment and everything you can imagine that was needed over the last 18 months in healthcare facilities. But um, since 9-11, it, it really has uh, grown significantly year over year. 
And COVID-19 is just another event that, that we've seen over the last 20 years that, that draw eyeballs and draw attention to a fast-growing segment that is uh, incredibly necessary to keep uh, workforces safe as well as people on the home front safe. You know, Charles, uh, last year we suffered through a horrendous storm here in Austin, Texas. And I have to say I was somewhat surprised at the lack of preparedness that not only the city had, but also just individuals. Now, honest, honestly, Austin never expected to have that kind of snowstorm. But when you look at this in general, does it take these kinds of events in order for people to get prepared? Or what do you think is going on psychologically as it, as it pertains to this space? Yeah, it's, it's it, you know, you, you are one of millions who would say that after people go through an event and they take a look in the mirror, whether they're a community or a household or an individual, and they say the same thing. And I personally, I believe that emergency readiness is, is a lot like leadership in that it, it's a journey. It is not a destination. I think to, to say your organization or facility or your community or your municipality is 100% emergency ready, that's probably a lot of smoke and mirrors. Um, it is definitely a journey getting there, and there's always going to be lessons learned following a significant event like what you all faced in Austin or what Dallas faced as well during those winter storms or what New York City learned during Superstorm Sandy or what the country learned during COVID-19. Um, we are, as a nation and as a, a group of citizens, we are vastly underprepared, and that's why this, this industry continues to get more interesting as, as intelligent people and and capital continues to back it. Over, over the last year, we've seen two or three venture capital-backed companies come into the space, whether it's through a tech platform or another emergency kits and supplies business. So capital is coming into the industry, and it's just proving that, that this is important for us as a nation, but it is also an uh, industry that could be, could be professionalized and um, you know, it deserves a thought leader, and that's what we're trying to do at Ethos as well. Do you think your time in the army helped with this business? Yeah, you know, it's a great question. I think I think it allows me to personally have a very unique conversation if I'm speaking to an emergency manager at a hospital or a corporate campus. A couple of our sales uh, managers here also have military background, but I think I think it allows for a unique conversation because I've I've had that mindset since I was 18 years old. And I did spend some time overseas in Afghanistan. And every time you step outside the wire, you make sure that your vehicle has everything that it needs. You make sure you've packed everything you need in your rucksack. Um, and that goes the same for, for even training events. But I think it, it just it, it enables you to, to take a unique look at what does it really mean to be prepared. And, and it allows you to always be thinking of, of what could be the worst that could happen in this scenario and how do I mitigate as much risk as possible. Charles, what does it mean to have a culture of emergency readiness or preparedness? Yeah, I, I, I love that question, Fred. And that's, that's one thing at Ethos that we, we strive to do is to develop cultures of preparedness. And I think the way that we approach it is, yes, we offer specialty products and supplies, but it's really the, the training and engagement piece that hits that home. And it's getting in front of a workforce and explaining why a company or an organization or a municipality made that investment in preparedness. And I think, I think that culture really begins with awareness. Uh, you know, when you walk into a building, if you see 
emergency readiness supplies and first aid and an AED and a fire extinguisher, you, you have that innate feeling of, okay, I'm protected and we have what we need if the worst were to happen. And I think emergency readiness really is that journey to everyone in a building or in an organization feeling like they have the supplies they need to handle a hairy situation. And I think getting in front of people and, and building that awareness is really the first step to, to actually building that culture and making it second nature. The, the emergency readiness industry has a historical reputation of, of being very tactical, kind of the, the bunker boy mentality of, oh, I've got weapons and ammunition and food and water you know, stored underground outside of my house. And that really isn't how it should be. It should be in and around you. It should be things that, that you see on a daily basis, the same way a mother with three kids has first aid kits in her kitchen. It should just be the norm. And it, we're trying to help normalize that throughout the country, and we're having a lot of fun doing it. Well, I'm sure you are, and it's such a tremendous service that you're pro providing. Why don't you think more people are prepared? I think there, I think there's a, a social stigma to it, um, and it, it goes back to that. You know, I hate using this term over and over, but that bunker boy mentality to where it's. It's almost intimidating to the average citizen because they think that the only people who are prepared are, are people who operate in that manner, um, who have weapons and ammunition and X, Y, and Z in their house, when really having, having the things that you need is no different than going on a camping trip with your family. It's just having it ready available in your home or having it readily available in a, in a locker or a chest or cabinet in the workplace. So if you do have to hunker down uh, for 72 hours, you have the emergency food and water you need. You have the light and communication you need. It's very basic supplies and a very basic mentality that, that just requires a little bit of, of consumer and organizational leadership education to, to normalize it. We'll get back to the conversation in just a moment. But first... I wanted to tell you a little about Ontech's Center for Protective Intelligence. In the world of protective intelligence, we know that gathering and sharing information is crucial. This is why we created the Ontech Center for Protective Intelligence. We're regularly sharing strategies and best practices, insights learned from current and historical trends, as well as lessons learned from physical security experts like you. To find blogs, podcasts, webinars, white papers, and more, Check out the center by visiting ontic.co slash center. That's ontic.co slash center. As you look at this and you're sitting back listening to this podcast, what would people be surprised to learn that perhaps they don't think about when it comes to emergency readiness? You know, what, one of the greatest surprises for me has been um, the geographical nature of preparedness. And I say that because there are certain natural disasters that different geographies face that organizations and families take more seriously or potentially are more afraid of. Um, the West Coast, for example, we have much better and more in-depth conversations with large organizations on the West Coast. And I think a lot of that stems from the, the inherent threat of an earthquake, which you do not have a two or three day warning sign like you do a hurricane. You know, culture in Florida is 
people are very, very used to hurricanes because it happens every year around the same time. And they're, they're either prepared to just evacuate a few days in advance, or they always hunker down and say, I'm going to, to face this like I do every single year. Um, so it's been really interesting to, for us to, to find out that the West Coast really has done a great job of developing that culture of preparedness. And I think it does stem from that inherent fear of an earthquake and being put into a position where you don't have the basic utilities that you need, or you really could lose your office space or your home just with one crack in the earth. Um, so it, that, that has been really interesting for me to learn. And I'm, I'm going to go ahead and assume that the general population doesn't understand that either. Yeah, that's fascinating from a geography perspective. I know in my previous life of being a counterterrorism agent, and you're looking at uh, how some cities, for example, on the East Coast were better prepared for, let's say, a mass casualty event than others. And if, it was almost like the further you moved inward, west, the less and less cities thought that the probability for a mass casualty attack or a large-scale terrorism attack was just less because it wasn't New York City or, or Washington, D.C. So the psychology of this predicated upon geography is something that's just fascinating, isn't it? Yeah, it really is. And it goes all the way from organizational preparedness to what we call personal preparedness or home front preparedness. And it's, it's very similar. We will we will see a massive spike in sales if there is a earthquake above 3.5 or 4.0 in the California area or Utah or Pacific Northwest. And it's always a react, a reactive purchase. So our, our Amazon will double, triple, quadruple on, on a day where even there's a, just a tiny shake and they happen to feel it. And we see it as our job to educate people to do that beforehand. So when that shaking occurs, they already have what they need. And they feel comfortable with the investment that they've made in their their family or their organization's safety, but it's it's always a it's always an interesting uh, reaction that we see, and we, you know, I, I hate seeing it to be honest because those spikes in sales mean people weren't prepared when the worst actually did happen. So it's it's our job to try and and do that that um, important education to the customer front, whether that's an organization or a family. Charles, we have a uh, tremendous following of security practitioners that listen to our podcast, and they're engaged in either global security operations, uh, executive protection, and so forth. Um, what's the one thing that perhaps security professionals aren't thinking about in this space from emergency readiness that you would recommend? That's a really good question, too. I, I um you know this this may sound a little self-serving because of what we do but it's also it's also just because we've learned so much about the industry in and of itself and that is that in a in a building if we're talking about security professionals if they're at a corporate campus or a healthcare facility we we often hear well we're not going to ever move our non-ambulatory population out of the building and we provide the equipment that allows them to do that and they say well, we'll wait on first responders if there is an area-wide event like an earthquake or a tornado or a massive hurricane, and you do have a non-ambulatory population, you, you may not be able to wait on first responders. They may be going elsewhere to, to help wherever there is priority in that area of operations. And um, what we always discuss with them is have the equipment on hand and just do the very light training because it's not difficult equipment to use, and you will be able to get your people down and out of a building. I think that that is a super important piece for any security professional to understand is that 
you can't always rely on the first responders to be there no matter what, because that area-wide event could really shock the system. Yeah, that's very good advice. And I think a lot of people forget about that. I've I've certainly seen and been involved in some large-scale events uh, throughout the years, and it overwhelms the EMS service. And heck, we've seen that even at a smaller scale in some of these tactical kind of events, like cars ramming through crowds and so forth, and just emergency response and trauma care and so forth. And, you know, it's amazing to me how people never think bad things can happen, and yet they do. That's exactly right. I, I, I'm guilty of it myself. I, my wife always jokes to me, you know, I'll do something or not have something in the house. And she always says, don't you run an emergency preparedness company? You should probably, <laughs> you should probably have this. And, you know, it's, if it's out of sight, out of mind, but there, like I said, it, it really is a journey. Um, there's not a destination of being ready for anything. It's a, it's a journey and you just have to be willing to take those steps along the way. Let's talk uh, brass tacks. What's in your go bag? Oh, my go bag is, so obviously the very most important thing is nutrition. So following FEMA guidelines of having a thousand calories per person per day and having the right amount of water per day. Um, that is going to allow you to to obviously maintain your energy and and keep up with whatever is going on around you. And then when it comes to the actual goods and supplies, um, I think light and communication is super important. So having a headlamp, having a flashlight, having a, a NOAA radio that can connect you to local radio stations so you can stay up to date on whatever the event is that uh, that occurred if you are in a disaster scenario. Um, I like having personal hygiene and first aid, uh, just in case you really do need to, to take care of the temple a little bit. If you have any cuts, bumps, or bruises, or if you have any uh, severe bleeding, I always like to have a tourniquet in my truck or having a couple around the house. And our, our typical emergency kits don't have tourniquets, but we do offer other first aid supplies if you want to continue upgrading and, and being more ready. So th those would be the big things. And then obviously, if you're getting incredibly prepared, you need shelter and warmth. So you got to have a uh, the blanket that you need or potentially need to set up a, a hooch or a little tent outside uh, to be able to sleep in if uh, you really don't have any of those any of those things readily available at the moment. So those would be the big bucket items. And do you have a preference on the kind of food that you have stuck in your bag? Or is your, I know for years when we were traveling around the globe, I would always have a few power bars uh, stuck in my carry-on bag. Yeah, power bars are great. Um, uh, cliff bars are great. We, what we offer in our kits that we sell to direct to consumer, uh, they're five year shelf life foods. They may not taste the best, but you know what? They, they get the job done. And I also am the guy who ate MREs for nine years. So I'm very, <laughs> very used to, to eating food like that. But, um, you know, when, when we, when we sell a kit to a consumer, for example, we provide them with a full emergency readiness checklist and other ways to, to get more prepared, whether they're buying stuff from us or not. And there's a lot of personal items that need to go into a kit outside of your general preparedness needs. Like if you have glasses or contact lenses or any of your insurance documents or home deeds or car deeds, extra keys to your house, extra keys to your vehicle, anything like that, you really should try and keep in one place that you can grab and go whenever necessary. Yeah, very sound advice. Charles, is there anything that I haven't asked you that you would like to say? No, this is this has been fantastic. I, I appreciate you having me on. And, um, you know, I think, I think after operating in this industry for three years, what I can say is that it's, it's moving in a really interesting and, and good direction for the overall general population of the United States and, and beyond.
Uh, we sell our products uh, globally. We have distributors in uh, the Middle East, Europe, Australia. Um, so I think I think really globally there is a there is a an interesting focus on emergency readiness, whether that's getting your building evacuation prepared or having the the mass cache of uh, emergency food and water and supplies if you do have to hunker down and shelter in place for a while. And it's it's been a very interesting road for me to not only to not only learn, but like you said, having that military background enables a pretty unique conversation. And it's been a lot of fun. Thank you so much, Charles, for being on the Ontic Protective Intelligence Podcast. Thank you for having me, Fred. I really appreciate it. This episode was brought to you by the Ontic Center for Protective Intelligence. Learn more at ontic.co slash center. Again, that's ontic.co slash center. It was produced by AJ McKeon. Our music is a track called Monte Verde Ride and was written by Brian Bristow and performed by Smokin' Novas. Check them out on Spotify. Please remember to rate and review our podcast on iTunes and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you have questions, we'd love to hear them. You can reach us at podcast at ontic.ai or visit ontic.co slash center for more information. I'm Fred Burton. Thanks for listening.